All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers postgame show on a Monday night uh, after yet another disaster, something that we've become accustomed to this season. Honestly, a lot over the last two seasons with all the injuries that we dealt with last year. Um, but thank you guys for all coming to hang out. This will be on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Um, we're very excited to uh, get to the bottom of what was a, you know, I, I predicted that the Bulls would win tonight. Uh, I just don't think we have the horses to hang with the best teams in the league right now. But once again, that really inconsistent competitive spirit and Frank looking like he's completely in over over his head offensively. A lot of those problems that we've been preaching about all year reared their ugly head tonight. You know what I mean? Uh, where, where, where are you at right now mentally, Raj? Can we just, like, talk about THT? Like, is there anything else that went on tonight? <laughs> Was there actual basketball that, that went on? No, I mean, I feel like this has been a theme with the team all year. I mean, we have blamed it on, you know, injuries and <clears throat> fatigue, and those are all valid concerns and valid reasoning. It just feels like this has been happening in third quarter as well. Like I said, I was there for the Minnesota game. And again, I'm sure fatigue was a factor there, but it just feels like, you know, the term uh, is when the wheels come off, kind of when the wheels come off. Well, it feels like for the team, it's not just when the wheels come off, like the whole car just explodes. Like they just stop playing. Chicago went on a couple 9-0 runs tonight. And then in the third quarter, that one just ballooned. You can see their spirit really die and then we can kind of get into why that happened but that's kind of how I felt AD got ejected I think with like three minutes left so pretty uh, I think three minutes left in the third and after that the game was pretty much meaningless to me once AD went out we really just didn't have a chance but I thought this was a winnable game like I thought it was there DeRozan and Lonzo Ball went nuclear in the second half but I thought in the first half we played okay I thought that was Russ's best half like that's I thought he looked really good and kind of saved us uh from from being down like 20 at halftime. And then obviously he, when the Lakers play bad, it just kind of induces Russ to go into his bad Russ. I guess we, we kind of separated. That, that's kind of where I'm at this with, at with this. Like I know LeBron's coming back and like tonight's another game where I just can't blame it on injuries. And it's like, and then fatigue is maybe the case they played, they played yesterday, but I, I just feel like you shouldn't be getting embarrassed consistently as they do. That's kind of where I'm at with this. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, Raj always wants to, would like for us to start positive, but I, I, ju- I just can't do that tonight. We are going to, I wrote down two positive notes from this game, uh, 80s, yeah. 80s jump shot and the fact that it seems to be continuing to trend in the right direction, and then THT on the offensive end of the floor. But we're not mm-hmm. going to talk about those up front. I'm not, I'm not going to let Raj do it. This is just, this is, this, this is more of the same concerns that I've had throughout most of the season. And, you know, I I thought today came down to a difference in defensive pressure. Um, This is something that I've talked about a lot over the course of the last uh, few years, this idea about basketball players being comfortable on the court. It's something that I talk about on both sides of the ball for the Lakers. Offensively, I've used, you know, the starting lineup, and the idea of going small with AD at the five, because I believe that getting Anthony Davis comfortable offensively and getting Russell Westbrook and LeBron James comfortable offensively leads them to be confident enough and in a rhythm enough to consistently make you pay um, throughout the game, even with whatever other shortcomings come from that lineup. 
Well, that same principle applies on the defensive end of the floor. There was a reason why all of the dribble attackers, the, the aggressive pull-up jump shooting guards that the Lakers would play in previous seasons would generally struggle against us. And it was because from the opening tip, our defensive pressure would make them feel uncomfortable. And the best example I can give you is a matchup like THT on DeMar DeRozan because THT kind of got lit on fire by DeMar DeRozan tonight on a bunch of different occasions in isolation. And you might tell yourself while you're watching the game, like, oh, he contested that shot. But kind of like I said last week, there's a huge difference between contesting a shot and actually making the offensive player feel uncomfortable. There's a difference between having a hand up while they're releasing and while they're in their rhythm dribbles, disrupting them and making them do something they don't want to do. Like if they're like James Harden and they like to step back, you want to advance on them, put them in a position where they want to, where they have to go past you and they have to rush their decision-making. If they're a player that likes to bear down on you, put them in a position where uh, you're giving up space so that they feel like that's what most teams do to Russ, which puts them in a position where they're indecisive and more likely Mm -hmm. to settle for jump shots. But when you're playing these guys, these aggressive pull-up jump shooters, these DeMar DeRozans and these Zach Levine types, you have to, from the opening tip, make them feel uncomfortable with defensive pressure. And if you do not, they will get comfortable, they will build a rhythm, and they will light you on fire. And that's what happened. I mean, the Lonzo Ball stuff towards the end of the game to me was primarily just defensive breakdowns. But Mm -hmm. early in the game, the reason why Chicago controlled throughout, in my opinion, was their stars were comfortable and our stars were not. Look at what Chicago did on the other end. It's all of this Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, ball pressure at the point of attack to make people feel uncomfortable. It's Anthony Davis getting double teamed on the catch every single time he touches the ball so that he never gets comfortable. That sort of that sort of gap and chasm between the way those two teams approach the game tonight directly led to the outcome, in my opinion. The Lakers had one of their worst three-point shooting games of the season, despite the fact that they have tons of three-point shooting. I think it's directly tied to defensive pressure, leading them to take lower quality three-point shots, leading them to that that cascading into guys getting out of rhythm and guys missing, and then the exact opposite effect on the other end. And that to me is an identity thing. You have to, from the top down, be willing to commit yourself defensively to put in the work, the dirty work it takes to make the uh, offensive players feel uncomfortable. And so far to this point in the season, the Lakers haven't been willing to do that. And until that changes, yeah, you'll be able to beat the Spurs. You'll be able to beat, you know, limited teams that don't have these high level dribble, uh, dribble creators who can pull off Mm -hmm. the dribble with the jump shot from anywhere on the floor. You'll be able to beat the teams that don't have those types of guys. But when you, when you get into like, in order to get out of the West, you've got to beat Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. You've got to beat Devin Booker and Chris Paul. You've got to beat, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell and, and uh, Mike Conley, you have to beat teams that have this archetype of player guys that can shoot from all over the floor off the dribble. And so you have to be able to make them feel uncomfortable. And right now the Lakers just don't have that in their defensive identity. And until that gets fixed, I don't think they can win these types of matchups. Yeah. And I mean, to me, like I know you said THT got cooked, but I thought he was like our best chance defender on DeRozan, at least early on. We started AD on him, right? And uh, that worked for a little bit until they just started uh, using screens. They had Zach Levine doing these, like, 
ghost screen options where he just faked the screen and come out and he got he got loose i think he had three threes i don't know if it was in the first quarter but he had three threes that fell right away drozen to me got cooking because they went at carmelo like i thought that and we can go and get into the lakers offense as well which is awful but just the bulls i want to give them credit we like to just stay on the lakers but they're a legit good team i think levine and derozan are an absolute handful uh in, at least in the regular season to stop and combine that with their ball pressure but that's where i thought derozan really got loose like i thought that they went after carmelo a lot avery bradley this is just not a good matchup for him and i thought he probably played too much especially if his shot's not going. He's just too small to stay with Levine um, or DeRozan for that matter. So I thought that's kind of where we got cooked defensively. And you're right, the team just doesn't have the defensive identity right now. Like these guards just aren't there. AD has to do a ton. And I thought tonight he looked kind of fatigued as well. Trying to, and He was obviously annoyed by the way they defended him, doubling him right on the catch. We had defensively, man. I just thought we couldn't stop that. And DeRozan takes shots where like, like you said, you think it's good defense, but it's shots he's getting to. And with the defensive coverage, we do as well, um, especially if we're not switching everything. If it's a like a drop back coverage, that's shots that DeRozan wants, those mid-range pull-ups. Levine also is comfortable there. Lonzo obviously got hot. But I, I thought that's where we kind of messed up defensively um, is, is when they just went at Carmelo. They went at Avery Bradley. Those dudes are just too small, and the Bulls run a really nice offense. They have a lot of actions that, that get their guys going downhill, and I thought that's where we lost that defensively uh, tonight. The, the work is done before, before the shot attempt, like one, sure. the way, the way I look at it, cause it's the way I look at it. These are a lot of those types of shots are the types of shots that I like to take when I play basketball. And like, mm-hmm. well, once I get to my footwork and get to my release, you're done. There's absolutely nothing you can do. It's, right. the, it's, it's in my hands at that point. I'm either making it or I'm missing the shot. But if you can do things to disrupt before I get up into my shot, making, Mm -hmm. putting me off balance, getting me to the point where I lose control of the basketball a little bit, anything, anything to disrupt the rhythm that leads into the release, that sort of thing is far more likely to disrupt those types of players, those off the dribble jump shooters, particularly guys like DeRozan that are going to operate in the mid range. Those kind of things are going to do a lot more than a contest. They, 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 that's just, to me, it's just bad process. So to your point, like, like there was, uh, there, there were possessions in that game where, where, where DeRozan got advantages against lesser defenders. I'm not, I'm not glossing over that by any stretch of the imagination, but I do believe there was just bad process just in, uh, everywhere on the floor in terms of bumping in, like if he's going to run, if he's going to run through a specific action to get a switch that he wants, he needs to get clipped and bumped and, and, and elbowed and made to feel uncomfortable in the process. And again, what bothers me is this is the kind of stuff that we used to be so good at. This used to be the, the, the we would be the team that would look up and be like, Oh, look, Jamal Murray, um, Jamal Murray's struggling again tonight. You know, after he lit, everyone else uh, on fire. And it's because our defense would make these, these types of players feel uncomfortable and that is gone. And, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you, because personnel is certainly part of it, but there there's definitely a lesser buy-in on that front from players that have been around guys like THT, for example, guys like AD, you know, THT used to be one of the most disruptive uh, point of attack defenders and it's too early in his return to, to to really quantify how well he's done on that end but the point is is through down the roster 
were not doing a good enough job at the point of attack at, and off the ball of making guys feel uncomfortable when that used to be our identity. And so again, like, you know, I used to advocate for not advocate, but say that I would get behind ditching Frank for someone like um, uh, for a coach that, the, that would get the guys to play more with AD at the five or to, you know, run more switching defense and blah, 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 blah. Now at this point, because Frank has adopted a lot of that stuff. We've done a lot more switching in the last two games. We've mm. gone entirely to AD at the five. The problem now is purely buy-in for whatever reason. And I don't know why. And I don't know if it's because of Frank or if it's because of personnel or if it's because of LeBron and AD or what. But for whatever reason, this group of guys just isn't committing to the dirty work the way that previous iterations of this team did. And I honestly, God, don't know what to make of it, Raj, but that, that, that to me is, is bizarre. And I honestly, I'm not sure how you fix it. Uh, maybe it's as simple as LeBron coming back, but, but I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words at this point. Yeah. Like, you know, I always like to say like blaming, um, blaming troubles all on effort isn't fair to the other team as well. Right. It's not like the Lakers just lied down tonight. They definitely didn't have full, you know, buy-in in that third quarter, but I don't like to blame all of it on effort as well because I do think it is some of a personnel issue. Now, a personnel issue isn't getting down by 40. And to your point on making DeRozan uncomfortable, I thought we gave up the switch way too easy. Like, he was just able to pick on Carmelo time after time. And it was basically just daring DeRozan to beat Melo one-on-one, which I thought just was, like you said, bad process there. And again, I thought THD kind of did the best you could on him. All you can do really is try to deny the ball, make him catch it, Make him double pump, you know what I mean? Double pump, fake, pull up, mid contested, mid-range, pull up twos. Like, that's that's a shot you want to give up as a defense. And I thought we did an okay part of that in the first quarter until he was able to kind of pick on our bad defenders. And I think this is just a bad matchup as well. Avery Bradley, um, just not a good matchup against this team, against Levine and DeRozan and all these bigger guards. Lonzo's probably the small, the shortest guard on their starting backcourt. Caruso's not even an offensive option either. So putting Bradley on him doesn't make sense. So you basically have Bradley on one of their two hot scores. Like I thought that was the issue tonight defensively. And like to me, I'm not even that mad at the defense. Like I'm more mad on the other end. Are you ready to move on to the offensive end here? Because I feel like that's obviously the big issue from tonight. Like it's the I'm not sure if this is on Vogel. Like again, you said replacing him with Fizdell or something. Like I I'm not there as well yet. Like, I just can't get there until we see a healthy team. Like, I, I just can't get there. Vogel was here to coach a specific roster, and this is not the roster he was set to coach. You know what I mean? Like, I think LeBron is might be as important defensively as offensively is for us. Just as that 4-5, like, we need a – like, he would have been incredible tonight on both ends, obviously, when you have LeBron James. But I feel like that's where I'm at with Vogel coaching. But are you ready to kind of move on to the offensive end from the defense? Yeah. Here yeah. So, I mean, so here's the thing, like, the, cause it, it is, you know, the person who's been on this the most in the most sophisticated way with a good combination of analytical analysis and, you know, statistical analysis and, and digging into the film is our guy Cranges. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is like, so ESPN stats and info came out and said that AD got doubled 15 times tonight. <clears throat> That's it. And, yeah, I, when I saw that too, I thought I was like, "Hmm, it seemed low." But uh, but it's it's because it, it's 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 more about the kind of the flow of the game, right? Like if you Sorry. throw it if you throw it into eighty post ups four times in rapid succession, 
and they quick double and you can't get anything good out of it, then you go away from it for a while. So that, that right. that's what that's what ends up inevitably happening. But what Krantis was saying, and, and, and this is kind of my philosophy behind it too, is like when a team chooses to double your best player, that should only work to your advantage. Um, the only yeah. way it won't work to your advantage is if you have bad process in navigating the double team. And I've put a lot of this on AD over the years, and I do think he shares a good amount of the blame for it. But Frank also does. Because you could, in theory, go to your post-up out of the exact same set every time, right? So same players in same positions on the floor. So that you could identify where the double is coming. After you've done that once or twice and you failed to make them pay, you should be able to call the timeout and rapidly address where the double's coming from and how to counter it. And this is something that Krantis was talking about. He's like, he's like, rather than figuring out how to counter those doubles, every time they would go to AD in the post a few times and, and the double team would uh, derail the play, they would just go away from AD post-ups. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that. That, that. that is everything Chicago wants you to do. They want. They're, yeah. they're they're hoping that they can double team AD and that you won't be able to make them pay a couple of times and that you'll just abandon it and then all of a sudden your you know six foot eleven super freak talent power forward becomes basically uh, uh, someone who's just a bystander you know what I mean and so some of this is on Frank now the problem is is I don't know what you do because I don't think you can bring some this is something we've talked about a lot you can't bring in some young guy. Who, uh, who is an offensive mastermind, but that all the veterans in the locker room will roll their eyes at. And uh, the, you see, so probably have to, end, and it's the middle of the season, so you can't go too crazy. You probably have to go from somebody on the current staff. And I hate to break it to you, there's nobody on the current staff who is an offensive mastermind. That's just not the reality of our current coaching staff. So it's kind of one of those situations where the best we can hope for is maybe LeBron coming back solves a lot of these problems. But you're right. I, yeah. thought you, I, I thought as far as the, that, that, that's all I have to say as far as the 80 doubles go. But I thought you hit the nail on the head in terms of just the flow of the game. Like Russ kind of carried us with his aggression and his ability to create for himself. Um, and then, you know, when the wheels come off is when Russ becomes his worst because he's a he's just your textbook hero ball type of guy who wants to save the game with one shot. And he took three I thought all three of the jump shots he took in the third quarter were bad I'd have to go back and watch the film to be 100% sure but in the moment they felt like bad shots and you know those are that's just kind of like you said the 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 order of operations of that kind of thing once the wheels start coming off you you hope that's where you really need LeBron because you need someone who can calm you down not rile you up you know what I mean and so yeah I thought you hit the nail on the head on that front yeah I mean I think like just in basketball sense, like it's tough to double team if you have LeBron on the floor, right? He's just too good. But that's besides the point here. I think the frustration with most people, like just watching tonight, it felt like we ran the same play 30 times and it had the same exact result every single time. And like you said, like the definition of insanity is just doing the same thing every time and expecting a different output. And I thought we just kept running. Well, we started Avery Bradley and THT, right, tonight, next to Russ. Three guys that teams really don't respect as shooters, just in a general sense. Avery Bradley, like I said before, could shoot 40% from three. Teams aren't going to guard him. THT hit a bunch of threes tonight, I think. But again, another guy they have no they have no care to help off of. Russ, they are helping off the entry pass. So, like, 
the cardinal sin in basketball, Jason, you know this, right? You don't help off a cutter, right? Like that's kind of like the cardinal sin. The Bulls did that every single time tonight. Russ would throw it into AD and they would double right off the catch. So like, and then we ran like this Russ AD screen and roll, no shooting on the floor. So you're on a Russ AD screen and roll. They switch it because the matchup is irrelevant. You have Lonzo Ball on AD, but that doesn't even matter because they're doubling right away. And there's just no shooting on the floor. The spacing, I thought, was terrible. And this is not like a fire vocal point. Like, I think we go to extremes too much. I think there's, like, gray areas here. But just, like, some of the lineups makes no sense to me. We talk about how when we're down, like, it kind of induces this really bad rust ball. I feel the same with Rondo, right? Like, I feel – like, you can tell when Rondo respects a game or not. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know – it's not just effort. It's just his respect for, like, the care of it. And that's, you know, we can qualm if that's – okay or not to happen but that's just what happens and i thought it was clear pretty early that rondo did not respect this game at all you could just tell the way he was playing and i just didn't understand those lineups either like just to give us a chance that's why i said like i hope we just played monk and ellington a ton at least we could have got some guys good shots like that was what i was most frustrated with we went to ad a million times in the post and it just kept having the same exact result ad had two shot attempts i think by halftime or something and you can double all you want. Like, that should not happen just in a general basketball sense. Like, I don't care how many times you double LeBron. He's not having two shot attempts. I don't care how many – all these other stars in the league. Like, that's – and I feel like they absolutely just took him out. And the mid-range shots he made tonight, I feel like we were down, like, 30 or down 20 when he started hitting those. I don't know how much we can take from that. But that was my main frustration from tonight. And maybe Kendrick Nunn coming back, LeBron coming back, fixes all these, you know – weird lineups with no shooting on it like i don't think you can play avery bradley tht and russ like i think that's really tough against like a team that's doubling this much but like is your frustration there as well because that's kind of where i'm at this at with this like i i think like a lot of this gets fixed with lebron and it will probably hide a lot of this stuff anyway like i don't know how relevant this stuff will become in two weeks when lebron comes back because the the flow of the game will change so much where you can't do stuff like this. But that, I guess that's where I was tonight. You know what I mean? Like, you, I don't know what to take. Like, we ran the same post up 50 million times. The Bulls defended it the same exact way 50 million times. Like, what do you what do you take from that? That's that's precisely what, what uh, you know, implicates Vogel. Because, again, when you are openly doubling uh, on the catch every single time with the same player – there has to be a counter for that. And, you know, and again, I, I need to go back and look at the tape to be a hundred percent sure. Cause a lot of times in the middle of the game, you know, I'll miss these, these kinds of details, but you know, one of the reasons why the AD post-ups at the end of the game against San Antonio last night were working was because they consistently went with Wayne Ellington and Carmelo Anthony on the weak side. So it just, it just made it so that, the the angle from which they were doubling at made you leave one of those two guys open. Um, but, you know, th- th- this is where it gets complicated. because So Anthony Davis, we, we talked a lot about how he backs away from the double um, with his pivot foot. He'll kind of like retreat away, hold the ball high over his head and immediately look for an exit pass, usually behind him or to the perimeter. It so, was getting it was getting so bad tonight that he was dribbling away from the double. Like he would catch on the block the double would come and he would dribble back to the three point line to find his, his outlet. And that's where, you know, that, that goes to show you just how disheveled that whole process was. Your, the guy who's getting doubled is so uncomfortable under that level of ball pressure 
that he panics, which is problem number one. And then the head coach is not sophisticated enough offensively to identify where the double's coming from and come up with a counter. So for instance, if you're doubling off of Russ every time, you could there could be as simple as having Russ just quick run and set a screen for Ellington's man or for Mello's man to get Mello, you know, flashing up towards the wing where AD can make the pass. And then you pull AD aside in the in the huddle and you go, hey, listen, the double's coming from this spot every time. This is what we're going to do. As soon as you catch the ball, immediately look to this spot and throw it there. It will be open because we've identified where the double's coming from. And this is our counter for it. There's none of that with this group. Mm-hmm. And to the point where they literally just went away from the AD post-ups altogether. And th- again, that's an indictment of Vogel. Um, now, to your point, with LeBron, this is the partnership with this team, the way it was designed, as we've discussed so many times, was that LeBron would kind of take a lot of these offensive intricacies into his own hands. And then, um, you know, and then Frank would just focus on the defense. And the, the, the truth is, is, they countered the the 80 double teams a lot of times with LeBron being the entry pass. So LeBron would throw the entry pass and he'd go to the wing and he'd be the first pass away because that's where AD is most comfortable throwing the ball when he gets double teamed. So it basically puts you in a position kind of like what they, they did this a little bit with Marcus all last year too, but they would basically have AD quick kick it out. And then LeBron or Marcus all would be the one who made the complicated read at the top of the key you know, the pass fake to get the guy to commit one way to go the other way to hit the open shooter or to find a cutter or whatever it may be. They're basically taking that responsibility out of AD's hands and putting it into LeBron or putting it into Marcus Hall because he's not comfortable handling those double teams. And so that, that's where, that, that's where it gets tricky. But at the end of the day, like at this level of basketball, you know, not just in the NBA, but an NBA franchise that is coming into the season was the second biggest favorite in Vegas to hold the trophy at the end. At this level of basketball, you shouldn't be able to just outright double Anthony Davis five or six times and have the team just go away from the play. It's just It just can't happen. And you said yourself, you're like, oh, how does AD end up with only two shot attempts? LeBron would never only end up with two shot attempts. You're right, Raj, but you know why? Because Raj would make you pay for the double team two, three times in a row. You'd stop double teaming him, and then he'd start working you from the block. That's why the LeBron James post-up has been one of the most efficient point-per-possession plays of the last decade uh, out of any NBA action in, in the entire league. That, that, that's the difference there. Is it, this should be easier than it is. It should be easier to make the team pay for compromising themselves by double-teaming AD, and then AD should be able to feast out of single coverage out of that. But we just can't get to that point and I, and it's kind of a 50, 50 split in my opinion, between Frank and AD and his unwillingness to handle ball pressure. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of where I'm at with it too. Like AD is never going to be this amazing pastor out of the post. And I don't think he needs to, like, I think the, like we talked about last game, like make the reads a little bit more simple. And I think just putting so much non shooting around it, it's just, it kind of exacerbates the issue, especially a team as good as the bulls are. And again, give them credit. I think Lonzo and Caruso are a top, you know, five defensive just backcourt in themselves. They're one of the best at being able to dig in and get back to their man. So, like, even when they're trapping, the ball comes out. They're flying at their guy. So, where the shot, it looks open to us, but, like, Avery Bradley catches it. And, like, he has a 
kind of slow release already and they're already they're already at the at the ball so just give them credit there as well don't want to make this all just the lakers i think the bulls had a really great game plan they stuck with it and ran us out the building uh but yeah like i think the lineup combinations with the bad spacing like we have cutters cutting at the same time like uh, just watching like i was even watching off the ball a lot because the game kind of got out of hand we throw it to ad and russ is like right next to him you know so you saw this turnover where russ is trying to get ad the ball at like the high post but they're like they're ball denying at at the top of the key and so like russ throws it too far and it's like a turnover you see a lot of this just really awful spacing where like avery bradley is cutting through and like no one respects an Avery Bradley cut through, you know what I mean? Like he's like six one at the rim. So it's just a lot of this really ugly basketball that again, I think LeBron clears up a lot of this um when he comes back, which is why I just have a tough time. Like I think this I think the the issue of A D against double teams is separate from like the ceiling of this team, I guess, because I don't think you can double A D this way. I, I but it, you're right, it's like bad process though. Like this this kind of stuff shouldn't happen, but it's just I don't know it's with the lineups that we're running these Rondo Westbrook lineups these and then you have THT out there Avery Brad like there's just no shooting and the Bulls just continue to double team they did not respect any of our shooters Wayne Ellington was the only really guy out there that got any type of gravity so I don't know it was a it was a terrible offensive night from the whole team and that's where I'm more upset than even the defense like DeRozan's gonna hit those shots you know I mean Zach Levine's a crazy nuclear three-point shooter the offense is where I thought we could have really made this game had a chance in this game even without lebron and obviously the offense made sure we didn't everybody get your requests in we're gonna take some callers here uh i want you guys to give your two cents on 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 what you guys are seeing the one last note on the ad post up thing and this is something i brought up really early in the season ad really doesn't like when the double comes from behind him uh, it's kind of like his, it's kind of like his blind side. So the the Lakers always clear the strong side corner on his post ups. Um, the problem with it is he also likes to post up closer to the elbow than he does to the block. So what that does is it shrinks the floor on himself because the strong side corner is effectively empty, including himself, because he's not posting on the block. He's posting closer to the elbow. And so now you're trying to cram four shooters and cutters basically into the space from from the lane line all the way through the lane to the uh, opposite sideline. Does that make sense? So like you're basically Mm -hmm. you're asking four shooters and cutters to fill two thirds of the floor. Right. And so inevitably, what ends up happening is the uh, just in the way that traditional spacing goes, you'll have a guy who kind of hangs out on the opposite lane line extended and then a guy that's kind of like at the coach's line on the wing. And then you'll have a guy in the opposite corner, but then there's this fourth guy and he doesn't really know what to do. And all season long, it's been a guard in all season long. That guard is kind of like hovered into the dunker spot off the ball. And then like set like a pin screen for the shooter in the opposite corner, trying to find some way to be productive yeah. But the truth of the matter is, is by AD's fear of help coming from the backside has basically caused the entire operation to shift to just two thirds of the floor and really closed off space on him. And so I, I think a lot could come from literally just having him post up closer to the baseline uh, on the block. You don't have to go all the way to the baseline to where you can't spin back, but having your, your moving that, just moving that a couple feet down closer to the baseline changes the spacing. It's something we talk about all the time in our high school practices. Like 
you never want to cross the midline with an action because if you cross the midline, you are making it way easier for the weak side help to get involved. If you keep your action on your side of the midline, it forces those helpers to further leave their their uh, assignments in order to be a, a, of assistance shutting down your action. It's, it's, it's floor balance. It's basic floor balance stuff. And so I, it's been something that's bothered me with the process of AD post up all the post-ups all season. He just, he insists on catching close to the elbow, but he also doesn't want anybody behind him. So he clears out his strong side corner. And now it's just part of my language. It's a cluster F on the, on the, on the other side of the floor. And, it, and it's just difficult for him to make, he already has enough of a hard time making reads in a, in a static situation, let alone when it's, when it's like that. But anyway, I, I'm, I, I don't know about you, Raj, but I'm at the point where I'm ready to, to get some callers up here and, and let them kind of dictate what we talk about from here on out. Well, before we do that, let's stick into the one positive from tonight. I know you had two, you had the AD jumper, but I think THT, he's going to be a legit contributor on this team. Like I, it's, it's pretty clear. I know it's only been two games. He looked like the third best player on the floor tonight, honestly, like it, after Levine and Lonzo, I thought THT probably had the best kind of floor game. Um, he just looked super impressive, ball handling. And again, the game got about out of hand. Um, but his shot making, be able to take threes, getting to the basket. I thought he was impressive again. Again, only his second game back. I think he had 28 tonight, 28 points. Um, and again, a lot of some of that was in garbage time. But just looks like a legit guy who's going to a legit rotation piece that we've been missing. I think he could average 15 a night on this team, just the way he gets his baskets. Like, he looks very mature as a scorer, knows what he's doing. And again, like I said early, I thought he was our best kind of matchup on on the other wings that they had, Levine and DeRozan. I thought he did a pretty nice job. And it's, it's kind of why I would, if you're going to start THT, I would rather put a shooter in Avery Bradley's spot um, because I think you could just, have THT kind of guard that assignment and you and I believe you need way more shooting around Russ AD and now you put a non-shooter in THT in that lineup hopefully maybe going forward and maybe hopefully LeBron's back but you want to touch on THT really quick because I think that is a positive we can kind of go over before we get into some some callers here yeah for sure I mean uh once again he had multiple like NBA all-star type of highlights yeah um knock down a couple catch and shoot threes that's mm-hmm. something that I said that I wanted to see after uh, after last night's game. He's still dynamic as a dribble drive creator. Um, I think I I, 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 to me, I kind of know what to expect from him on that front. And I'm a believer in the way that it fits with the core group when everyone's healthy. I actually really, really like him as a match as a, as a closeout attacker. I know it's something we haven't seen a lot of. Um, because he's literally only played <laughs> with LeBron out for the, not only, but for the most part with LeBron out over the course of the last, what, 30, 40 games of his career because of the LeBron and AD injuries last year. But, mm-hmm. you know, early in the season, we saw a lot of that last year and, and I'm a big believer that he's going to be a, a killer in those situations. I, the thing not to nitpick him, but like, I think he can be even better defensively than he's showing. And that's the next level that I'd like to see from him. It's him be him because like, cause when you guys have all heard me compare him to Kawhi to me, he's mini Kawhi. That that's what I see him as. I don't see him as Dwayne Wade. I don't see him as any, I see him as a miniature version of Kawhi Leonard. And the difference between being a solid defensive wing and being Kawhi Leonard 
is a massive difference and it, it having to do with uh, commitment to disruption. And, and I think he's capable of that. And I'd like to see a little bit more of that out of him, but I mean, Hey man, like that was his career high. I'm not trying to, you know, poo poo mm-hmm. on his game or anything. I, I like, he, he looked incredible tonight. I, I'm not going to get too pumped about him getting baskets in garbage time because of the way his offensive fit on this team is primarily going to be playing off of advantages created by other people. Um, uh, with the exception of, you know, small, like small opportunities here and there when LeBron and Russ uh, rest while they're playing. Um, but I, 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 I've come a long way on the, the THT thing. Cause you remember last year I was a big advocate of, for trading him um, right. just, just primarily because of the timeline that the franchise was on. Um, but now I think this guy's going to be an all-star. Um, it's possible that, you know, my, my projection for what this kid could have been might've been a little too low. And, it, that, and that's something that I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history on. So I, I'm here to tell you that I think, I think he looks even better than I thought he could have been. Um, but I'd like to see him, really, really try to embrace that like peak level defensive disruptor role, because I think that's what will bring him to that point where he's a bona fide all-star. Yeah. And I thought you saw some of the more comfortability now him playing with another super ball handler in Russ. They had a couple good action there where like Russ gave it to him. He was able to attack and then Russ back cut and got a layup off of it. Like I'm really curious to see his fit next to when he plays with both of them. Cause obviously that's, I think that's the role he's going to have. Um, I think he's a big-time scorer, and they invested a lot into him, and I think he's going to be a big part of this. But, yeah, defensively, I don't know if you'll get to – I know what you mean by Kawhi. You mean more like the archetype of a disruptor. I want him just like as the solid, you know, don't make mistakes is more what I like from THT, and I think his ceiling is the, like, disruptor can, you know, get, like, three steals and and be a guy that you just be, – be a lockdown guy. But from this team, for this title team – hopefully title contending team uh, i'd like him just to kind of be solid and i think we're seeing more maturity in his game on both ends uh but yeah i thought tht another another good process game for him uh that's kind of been the bright spot uh for tonight really uh, that's really the only bright spot i saw uh, everything else was kind of lonzo ball and De- demar DeRozan having a party in their homecoming but yeah tht was the uh the, the bright spot yeah so why don't you go ahead and bring up the first caller really quickly that the, the other good thing that I noticed was just, you know, something that I talked about with Raj a lot over the course of the last couple of weeks, having to do with Anthony Davis's jump shot and him continuing to trend in the right direction. You know, everyone was joking about how Lonzo wasn't even hitting the rim on his threes. Well, that little stretch right before Anthony Davis got ejected, he wasn't even hitting the rim on his jump shot, um, which was exciting because him regaining that part of his game is the difference between him being the 12th best player in the league and him being the fifth or fifth or sixth best player in the league. So that's, that's such a gigantic, uh, a part of, of this team's ceiling. And so seeing him continue to trend in that direction has to be a good thing. Bottom line is this team needs LeBron back. I'm hopeful he's back Wednesday, but things should all start to make more sense at that point. Yeah. And AD got most of them off of like picking pops. I thought tonight. So uh, mm-hmm. But I think we got our first guy up here. Uh, Vaughn, are you there? Yeah, hello. Hello. Hey. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, we can okay, hear you. Okay, um, um, first, I, I like uh, um, Jason's point on the ball pressure. 
I think most of our guards, I mean, because of fear that they're going to be passed on by the opponent, they they don't want to pressure the ball too much. I saw THT, Monk, even El- Ellington is not a good ball pressure guy anyway. He's a chaser, but they're not fronting the the their opponent. So I I agree on him on that, on that part the first the first part part of this pod. Yeah, the, the ball pressure, like I said, it, it, it it's yeah. you a driving lane that you or drive a straight line drive that you give up to somebody that doesn't want to drive. Meaning like uh, these types of, of like these dribble jump shooters, these guys like DeRozan, yes. these guys like Levine, they're looking to get to their spot to take a jump shot. And so yeah. if, you can, if you can find a way to make them feel uncomfortable and make them rush and make them drive to the rim, generally speaking, not only can your defense react to it because it's predictable, right? Like if, if Zach Levine's yeah. trying to break down, uh, let's say THT on the left wing, and THT is up in his shorts and forces him to drive. All the other defensive players on the floor are looking at that situation, and they—it's a predictable outcome. Hey, THT's yeah. THT's ball pressuring like crazy. He's probably going to give up a drive here, and it, it, it makes it it makes it easier for your help defenders to rotate and be in the right spots. The flip side of that is like if you if uh, you know Zach Levine himself when he's on the drive he is now uncomfortable because he in, he began yeah. that possession thinking I'm going to get to my spot and take a three. And now he's freelancing. And now that he's freelancing, he's far more likely to make a mistake. He's far more likely to get too deep. He's far too far more likely to turn the ball over or to take some sort of funky contested layup or, or tougher shot. So that, that I'm, a, I'm just, there's just a defensive philosophy that I believe in. Like you got to, particularly when you're playing, Guys, you can shoot really well off the dribble, and this is what you're going to face at the highest levels of basketball. You you absolutely have to find a way to, to make them feel uncomfortable and force them to do something they don't want to do, which is drive the ball to the rim every time down the floor. That, that's kind of the way that I feel about it. Which is also Vogel's philosophy because he wants them to, you know, he wants the drive in because he, he knows where the help is coming from. It is Vogel's philosophy as well. Let them drive, and then the helper is going to, to be the one to stop it. So I, I yeah. So I get the not bu- that they're not buying into to this concept. Maybe not out of lack of ability, but more on fear because it started on that they're not going to play if they don't defend something like mm-hmm. that. But it's also false defense. It's not. It's not the defense that this, the types of DeRozan, um, Levine that can dribble and um, pump fake or pump shot or something like that do. So yeah, this the second one is um, AD is really not a go good post up um, um, ball handler anyway. He he's more on the finesse type of post-up player wherein he can beat um, one-on-ones, but when it comes to doubles, he's not good because his passing is still not that high. So I think it can be answered by LeBron being on the game. And also the problem with playing Rondo 
again. Huge <laughs> minutes. Um, I hope that Nan will come back soon because I think that will augment his minutes. That's the hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's know, the honest. hope. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been saying that for a couple of years, and I'll see it. Uh, well, I'll believe it when I see it with Rondo. I mean, that's what we were kind of. Uh, that's yeah, what we kind of sold think, during media day, but but we'll see. But I think you're right, though. AD's not the type of player you just give it to him in the post every single time. Uh, he's just not good enough yeah, playmaker to a, do that. He's a moving. He's a moving player. He's not a post up player. He's more on the move rather than posting him up and then let him create out of that. I think he's more on the. He's more better when he's moving. That's why Rondo is. Rondo and AD pairing is working because Rondo knows where he needs to move, something like that. So I, I, I think I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That uh, yeah, I that, think that's that's his game. That's AD's game. He's not like Giannis or LeBron. He's more on the movement player. He's more like Durant, actually. If you're going really to think about it. Yeah, I, I think I think you broke that down really, really well. The yeah. the Rondo the Rondo comp is super interesting. The reason why AD plays best with Rondo is Rondo gets him on the move, and uh, you're right. Like he's he's not like KD in the sense that he's not that level of jump shooter, but he is like KD in the sense that he seems to be peaking offensively when he's kind of like a movement player coming off of screens, catching him on the move to quick yes. fit like. To basically be the tip of the spear, the guy who finishes the play that the other four players kind of set up for him. I, I definitely yeah, that's, agree that's with him in that I regard. Think that's exact, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the exact term for him that, as a finisher. He's a finisher. He's not, he's not a creator. So posting him up is, is not his you know, strong suit. Mm-hmm. Then I think also, um, what do you think of the, the before the before the the season they released a possible lineup i think that was actually better because raj says that um ab um you know bradley is not a shooter so him being paired with um ross and tht is is not working it's not going tht is also not going to be respected as a shooter as well but i think the combo of if they're going, if everyone's healthy, again, that's an if. But, yeah, I think uh, Ellington and Ariza are are the perfect combo for AD and LeBron and Ross. They have two shooters, and on the defensive side, all of those four, even Ellington can pressure the ball. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you that that Bradley doesn't make as much sense with the starters now as he did yeah. earlier and <laughs> earlier in the season when um, uh, you know when injuries kind of forced him to go that route. The the other thing he was he was he was good tonight, but the other problem with Avery Bradley over the course of the last couple of weeks has been he's a little bit too uh, trigger happy with with his own offense, <laughs> uh, which which again. When you're in a situation where you need offense elsewhere on the floor, it makes it's one thing. But when when you've got THT, Russ, and Anthony Davis all healthy and in the lineup, I I, I just it's got to be more like tonight, where every shot every Bradley takes is a three that's that's relatively open. But I'm with you. I, I think I I think I would go with Ellington, um, if, especially if you're going to play THT. Um, I'd either go with Ellington and THT or Ellington and Ariza, just because 
with that particular starting lineup, spacing is so critical. Um, uh, but hey, Bon, I, I really appreciate you coming on. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna okay. get somebody else up here, but we'll be back okay. on uh, on Wednesday. But thank you for coming yeah. up. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Livin, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Y'all can y'all can hear me, right? Yep. We can hear How's you. How's it going, What's man? Oh, uh, good. Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing all right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, to me, like, it's been really frustrating to watch the Lakers this year. Like, in terms of like, I don't even think. Sometimes I feel like I know LeBron's been out for for a little minute now. Like, it's been what seven, eight games, but I feel like just like the effort level on some nights, like you know, like the Minnesota game. And uh, and then this game tonight in particular, like so their effort level is just like it's just not there, and like I don't know what they I don't know what the Lakers think. I think like I don't know they think teams are just gonna like roll over because they have Westbrook in eighty, but they're like they're doing literally the opposite. So and and also like what really frustrates me sometimes with Frank Vogel, like this quote that he had today. He he said he said basically he was like oh. Um, the way Chicago double team eighty, like that's not something we have. That's that's not something we've seen all year, and we're just not uh, used to that with this group. And I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm sitting here like, bro, you get like you're the coach, bro. Like you really like you get paid, like to make these kind of adjustments. Like it's really frustrating sometimes. It's like, and they were just running back the same play, 80, 80 post up in the elbow, eighty post up, elbow, double team, double team, and then like five seconds left on the clock, and we have like, you know, an ugly like. Avery Bradley trying to beat someone off the dribble and falls down or like Wayne Ellington has to force up a quick three. And it's like, yeah, it's, 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 kind of, it's frustrating to watch. And, um, and what I've noticed too about the, uh, about Melo is that teams have started to scout for him and in the way that they have, they weren't early in the season. Like even when he, like, uh, when he sets screens now and he pops, like teams are literally like right there in his Jersey and then they're, they're really not, um, no one's really giving them that space anymore. So, but I think, you know, a lot of these problems will be will solved when LeBron comes back. Um, but even like when LeBron's, even when LeBron comes back, I just feel like their effort level on a, on a night to night basis needs to be a lot better so we can actually build some some continuity. Like, because it's like, you know, we say it's early, but bad habits, like you know, like habits take time to build. You know, so I just feel like. Yeah, that's pretty much I thought some makers so far. So Yeah, the AD double team stuff is frustrating because you're right. The coach's job is not just to make adjustments before the game. It's to make adjustments during the game. I mean, hell, if you were playing a pickup game tomorrow and you had a guy on your team who was a good post player and the other team started double teaming him and the game was slipping away as a result, you don't think you guys would kind of address like, hey, they're doubling off of this guy. So maybe this guy should do this. And obviously that's a real basic level at a very amateur level of basketball. But the point is, it's like that same thought process applies here. There's, they should have been able to address that in a timeout. Hey, when, when we throw it, when we throw it to AD in this spot with this guy, they're helping off of this guy and they're helping from this angle. What should we do? And they should have counters set up for that. That to me was the frustrating part, but it is what it is at this point. It's, it's, you know, this, the, the pro, like 80, uh, Frank can pretend like this is some brand new doubling scheme that threw them off. But the point is, is doubling an 80 post up has been a smart strategy for two and a half years. And uh, at, at least with me watching him this closely. And so I tend to, 
I tend to think that a lot of this is just kind of the, the reality of the Frank and AD pairing as, uh, as offensive minds uh, approaching those double teams, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, in terms of the mellow stuff, this was inevitable that, that it was going to happen. Coming into tonight, he was shooting over 66% on wide open threes. So it was only a matter of time before teams really started to scheme up on him and start to take away the easy ones. Um, the problem is, is Mello, in my opinion, has started to, uh, try to fire away anyway, uh, which some of that is good because it continues that, um, it continues to perpetuate that fear of, of closing out to him because you know, he'll fire away. But with Mello, what you got to do is understand that the difficulty of the shots he's taking in the absence of his wide open ones suddenly are actually evidence of defensive attention, which is a good thing for our offense. Um, the bottom line is, is like this trend, the trend of a, uh, of mellow getting, uh, you know, chased all over the place and never being left open will only help this offense. Um, especially when LeBron comes back, because it really is this simple, you know, LeBron is going to handle those double teams. Well, LeBron is going to be able to get to the rim at a much higher clip than, than Russ and AD. So you will have two options. You're either going to help off of Mello and, and try to take away LeBron at the rim or, in, or in, in which case LeBron's just going to kick to him all day long or vice versa. You can stay home and let LeBron cook in single coverage. That's what you're going to see a lot with these LeBron Ellington Mello type of lineups. And so I, I, yes, this was bound to happen, but with Mello, you got to just trust the team concept. Like, dude, if they're, if they're blitzing you all over the place, that's only good for us. That, 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 that's attention that's not being devoted to your better players. He was, he's the only shooter in the starting lineup too tonight, right? Just to be fair yeah. to him. I mean, it was, it was Russ, Bradley, THD, Mello, and AD. And they basically just, once you trap AD, Mello was the only guy they really sticked on. So he didn't really get that many open looks. And he forced it some. I thought some of the post-ups were okay. Like, I liked him. Went at DeRozan some a little bit. Um I thought he got fouled on a few, but you know, Melo, I think he's going to, he's not going to shoot 60% on open threes, but I think he's going to be like a 40, 45% three point shoot. Like he can be that type of shooter. I think I've seen enough volume uh, from, from Melo to where I think he'll be fine there. And again, like the double team stuff, like it's annoying game to game. uh, But I think this is why the reason you can't do this is because oh, like fingers crossed LeBron's going to be on the floor. And so like, that's where like, this team is again going to go through another shift of like once you get LeBron, Nunn, Ariza back, you're going to get a whole new team again. So it's frustrating as hell to watch. I agree with you. It hasn't been fun. A lot of the games really haven't been fun. We've been blown out. We've been close games against bad teams. Hopefully now we finally get a good team. We scapegoated to DeAndre Jordan for a lot of this. He's gone now as well. It seems like from the rotation, uh, Baysmore's out of the rotation. Uh, so now hopefully when LeBron gets back, we, we have a better team here. And I think tonight, this is something you can do when LeBron's on the floor. doesn't mean it's not an issue. It's just something I don't see being a huge problem for the team going forward. Like, AD has never been good out of double teams. It's just you couldn't double off him. Uh, you couldn't do that uh, next to LeBron on the floor. But I'm with you. I mean, like, this is super frustrating as hell to watch nightly and to talk about, honestly, uh, every single night. And I, you can never, I, I, you can never blame everything on effort. I would call it third. I would put it in thirds. It's like equal part effort, equal part personnel. Because without LeBron, this team actually isn't all that talented. And then equal part coaching. I, I would say those, 
those are the thirds. Like you can you can't blame Frank for everything that's happening. You can't blame the effort for everything that's happening. And you can't blame the personnel for everything that's happening. But each of those three things play a big a big role in in, in how bad this team is right now. All right, guys. This is uh, our yeah. last. This is our last caller for the night. I'm getting very tired. <laughs> Live man, appreciate you coming up, man. Thanks for hopping on, man. We appreciate it. Uh, Eric, what's going on, man? Can you hear us? Yep. Can you hear me? Well, we can hear you. What's going My on, guy? Man? What's up, man? My dude, what's going on? Hey, you know what's interesting about this team, right? Is that when the roster was constructed, I think the the construction and the prevailing thought was that this team was going to be able to survive the non-LeBron minutes better than this, right? So here we are, year 19, and this team still doesn't survive the non-LeBron minutes. So that's kind of concerning to me at this point because I felt like they would do a better job. But I think – a lot of it is what I've been hearing tonight is like, for example, um, you know, the decision making in some parts and then the, the talking and connecting the defense on the others, like those little things that LeBron does that we, you know, that we kind of take for granted because he's that good. But those are those little things that this team is missing drastically and it costs us huge runs. Right. And so, I guess I'm concerned, not because, you know, I mean, obviously I know when LeBron's on the court, the team's going to be much better, but his injuries kind of concern me because, like, I've watched him get nicked up a lot over the last couple of years, and I'm like, well, what if he comes back and he doesn't, you know, like, and he has to miss another chunk of games and another chunk of games? It's like, yeah, we, we got we to gotta do a better job. I think it puts a lot of pressure on Vogel to play the right lineups which he i'm convinced he's just not going to do consistently (laughs) right so (laughs) i think that's part of it and it puts a lot of pressure on russ to be a player he's probably not been now I, i do have confidence he'll get better right i do um i think he'll adjust and over the last few games i've seen him get better in in the role at times right but it, it really puts the non-LeBron minutes, it puts a lot of pressure on him to be a player he's just not been. And so that's a little concerning to me. I don't know if you guys feel the same way I do, but. Yeah, it's a, it, you, I mean, it's really this simple. Russ isn't what everybody thought he was. And I'm. And everyone should have known that going in. But Russ is not a, you know, massive floor-raising superstar the way that he was in 2017. Those days are gone. They're never coming back the best version of this experience is him being able to be, like I said, a better version of Dennis Schroeder, a guy who can attack in specific matchups against inferior players for short stretches, not a guy who can attack better players for long stretches. That's just, just not what he's capable of Two, Anthony Davis is not bubble. Anthony Davis. He will be, I believe before the end of the season, I think he's trending in that direction. And before the end of the season, he will be bubble Anthony Davis, top tier superstar Anthony Davis. But right now he's not. And then three, the defense is, is the, uh, the defensive identity is gone. So with those three things gone, there was never any chance in hell that this team would, would be able to compete without LeBron. That's just the reality. The flip side of it is just kind of, you know, LeBron does so much to impact winning. It's hard to quantify, like just, just look at the defensive end of the floor. He basically plays the Draymond role for this team. 
in the in terms of the backline communicator, the backline disruptor, the guy who uh, blows up everything in the paint. Taking him out of that picture completely fundamentally changes the way our defense works. And so that's just one small part of it. Not to mention, in big moments, he can be your best isolation defender. In game four of last year's, or uh, the 2020 Western Conference Finals, he literally shut down Jamal Murray in a pivotal playoff game. Like, that's just a, that's not a, a thing that you used to be able, that's not a thing that you can replicate with team defense. That's just, at the end of the day, LeBron brings so much. And then that doesn't even get into what he does on the offensive end of the floor to calm guys down. It's not just about helping AD handle double teams. It's not just about taking decision-making out of Russell Westbrook's hands. It's about, you know, um, it's about the, uh, the, the, the leadership on the floor. It's that, Hey, the wheels are coming off here in the third quarter. It's okay. We got LeBron. Like he's going to make some plays and get us back into this game. There's, it's just, the list goes on and on. There's just so much that he brings to this specific team that it's too much to ask them to to be the same or a competitive uh, to be uh, an elite product without him. But they should be able to be competitive, and that's where it gets tricky. Is like you'd think that at least they'd be like, "Hey guys, we don't have LeBron. We should play harder." <laughs> you know, like like right. you'd think they'd at least be like, "Hey, Frank would be like, hey, we don't have LeBron. I need to take a bigger role in our offensive decision making." You know, like those kinds of things. Like those are. Those are the things that I personally would like to see fixed. Like one last, one last thing, just real quick. When you, you sure. said something about Brian, and it, it kind of raised another point that I, I forgot about. So the Lakers are not as good a rebounding team as they were a year ago, or even the, the title year. But LeBron also brings seven, eight rebounds a game, and ironically. The Lakers are losing most rebounding battles by about six. So when you <laughs> add bronze seven, eight rebounds in, that swings the pendulum a lot. It adds more possessions, so on and so forth. That also offsets some of these turnovers, right? And so I was thinking as I was watching these games, you know, like I just I, I kind of made a point over the last, I'll say, four games to kind of watch some of these rebounds. And I said to myself, okay, Brian would have got that one, right? He would have got that one. He would have got that one, right? And you know, all of us that hoop know, like especially if you hooped in college and all that, like, like you know, re- re- rebounds normally will dictate the winner of the game just on a sheer possession standpoint. Like if you lose sure. the rebounding battle, you're probably going to lose the game. And this game, this team loses the rebounding battle more often than not. And it's not that we get killed like right in the paint. It's those long rebounds. But those are the ones Bron grabs and takes off and starts runs, right? And so I think for all the things he does – that right there might be literally at the top. Like outside of the being the backline defensive connector is catching those long rebounds. Five of those changes the game because now those are potentially points going the other way because he starts to break on those. That, that's a that's a good point. Like that's when we went to eighty at the five, and I think we were getting out rebounded when we even had two bigs. But you have all these like four guards or you know guards and like one wing or just Carmelo fighting down low when AD comes out and switches. Um, and they just lose the rebounding battle every night. I thought Chicago got a bunch of them tonight as well. You're right. That's something that LeBron can bring as well. LeBron brings a bunch of stuff, like you said, Jason, and the rebounding. I think him being the power forward is super important on this team and might even more might be more important defensively than even offensively, uh, just what this team needs. Uh, but, like, they need to find lineups that are successful without him too, right? Like, 
he's not going to play 48 minutes a game in the regular season or the playoffs. Russ, like Russ is not going to be the floor raiser, but like you can see him and AD should still be able to man like second units and, you know, win those lineups uh, when, when they're out there. And I think you have to kind of acquiesce lineups to Russ, put shooting around him with AD at the five. And that's stuff that's just, it's happened here and there that's been in spurts, but just haven't seen it enough. Like tonight again, I thought it was just too much non-spacing around Russ and AD. And that's just not going to work for him. Like, and with AD as well, you saw them able to double off him. But you're right, LeBron's going to come back. The rebounds is huge. We've been losing the rebounding battle. AD has been having to having to do a ton out there defensively. He has to switch out to the guards and try to get back and defensive rebound and try to um, do, uh, dominate the offensive <laughs> boards. So there's just a lot of stuff on his plate as well. But yeah, LeBron coming back fixes a lot of stuff. But I do think Russ and AD still have to find units where they're successful without him you know what i mean like because this team's not going to go very far if they're just they just get demolished in the non-lebron minutes the way uh they have been this season yeah the the rebound the rebounding thing is not overly complicated we're we're small we're small uh Mm -hmm. you know ad at the five is is not enough size ad and lebron as the four five is plenty of size that's where it gets that's where it gets tricky is taking lebron out of the picture it's basically four guards in AD or three guards mellow in AD at any given moment. That's that those are our lineups. So rebounding is absolutely going to be a problem with those groups. Um, Raj, I thought you brought up something super interesting and uh, it's the, the last thought I'd like to share tonight is this idea that like care, asking, you should be able to ask Russ and AD to carry you for these stretches. I agree with you. And that's the key difference between doing it in the context of LeBron available in the context of LeBron unavailable. We've had plenty of stretches over the course of this, you know, five or six game stretch without LeBron where, um, where the team has looked good for short periods of time. Um, It's, but in the highest leverage moments, they seem to struggle, right. Or against the best, Mm -hmm. the best lineups, they seem to struggle. And that's just the reality of the situation. You can ask Russ and AD to carry you for the final three minutes of the first quarter and for two minutes in the middle of the second quarter and for another four minutes at the end of the third quarter and for maybe a minute in the fourth quarter, you can't ask them to do it for whole games. They're just not good enough for all the reasons that I laid out earlier in the show. So the point is Raj, the, what you brought up that makes it so that to have like a little bit more of a silver lining is like Russ and AD are showing you right now that they're not good enough to do this for whole games, but we don't need them to do it for whole games. And we don't need them against the best lineups, against starters for good teams, against closing groups for good teams. LeBron will be out there. So that, that, that should be the one thing to help us kind of exhale a little bit here is the idea that, you know, it shouldn't. We won't have to ask these guys to do this much when push comes to shove, you know, uh, when LeBron comes back. That's just the reality of the situation. Yep, that that's fair. I just I still want to see a little bit more from those lineups. Like, I, we're in like dog fights with bad teams still, and I feel like we're, Russ we're and bad AD team. Should have been. I think I think Vogel, I think Vogel has For a sure. lot to do with that too, though. Like, I think I think Vogel, that's what I was saying. Like, when LeBron's not out there, it puts a lot of pressure on Vogel to play the right lineups. Mm-hmm. And I think Vogel's just shown he's just not going to do it. And I don't think it's that Vogel's dumb. I think I have a theory that coaches are very stubborn. And in the way that oh, coaches, and, right, in the way coaches make their imprint on teams 
is either by way of their system or their rotations. And that's their way of being able to say they did it their way. Because the reality is the NBA is a player's league, right? So I'm not going to say coaches have no use. They do. But for the most part, the players are going to dictate how it goes. So either by way of system or by way of rotations, that's how coaches are going to make their imprint on the game. Vogel sees all the stuff that we talk about. Like they, like they're, He's a smart guy. Like He knows all this stuff. But his way of in making his imprint on this team is by way of his substitutions in his system. So like his two big lineups or his Rondo Russ or whatever, like when that's, if that stuff ultimately works, Vogel gets credit like he did the title year, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we complain about the two bigs all year, but they won because they had, you know, they led the league in block shots and da, da, da. So that's what, that's how Vogel makes his imprint. So, I don't think it's that he's stupid. I think it's that he's stubborn. And the problem is the way this team is constructed, it really, and especially with Braun out, it's really critical that he plays the right lineups, but stubborn in making his imprint is not going to allow him to do that. So I think we're just going to take L's in the in the <laughs> non-Braun moments. And you know, I think that's just the way that's going to be. And, you know, once again, we're in this, in this situation where Braun is going to be the fixer and the end-all, be-all. And I just hope he stays healthy enough, long enough to be able to do that. Yeah, that's my biggest yeah. concern too, man. That's my biggest concern too. I mean, it's just this, this ad thing was really weird. It was the first, it was the first time in my time being a fan of him where I was like, Whoa, this is an old guy injury, right. <laughs> you know? So it, yeah. it, it, it is, it is what it is. But, um, you know, Eric, we appreciate you coming on, man, as always. Thanks guys. Um, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to call it tonight. We're going to be back. Wednesday is an early one, right? It's five thirty start. I think four thirty for you, Raj, if I remember correctly. I believe so. They play in Milwaukee, if I'm correct. Um, Lakers are yes, they're in Milwaukee. Four thirty start here in uh, Southern California. Yep, yep. Five thirty Arizona time. But I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. I had a feeling LeBron would come back tonight, and then I was let down when I saw Dave McMenamin's reporting, and then I saw the Instagram story of him doing cardio, which you never do cardio on a game day. So I was like, oh, he's not playing tonight. But I have a feeling he'll be coming back soon, hopefully for that Wednesday game. Uh, Milwaukee's a little banged up, so it's definitely a game that is, like you would say, Raj winnable. Um, But if they come in there with the same crap, they're going to get beat. So it'll definitely definitely be a good one. But thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. This will air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It will be on our podcast feed here in about 20 minutes. As always, we sincerely appreciate you guys, and we will be back in a couple of days. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.